In episode 302, we are going to explore the way that not all fundraising has been created equal. We're going to talk about the pros and the cons and a mix of fundraising for your organization. Stay tuned. Here we go. Welcome to Funding the Performing Arts podcast. Open and frank discussion about supporting and growing the performing arts, such as instrumental, vocal, drama, dance, marching, and pageantry arts. So here we are in July, July 1st. Hard to believe we're now closer to the end of the year than we are the beginning of the year. Uh, so my name is Brian Gilbert. I am the founder and CEO of Fans Raise. Uh, this is our little podcast. It's called Funding the Performing Arts. Uh, we think it's pretty hip. Uh, but mainly what we do is we explore all of the different ways, tactics, uh, pros, cons, what works, what doesn't work, uh, about raising money for groups, pr- primarily the performing arts. Uh, so my, my position at Fans Raise allows me to work closely with a lot of different types of arts organizations, everything from community bands and uh, you know, faith-based church choirs. Um, we work with a lot of high school performing arts programs, uh, so lots of marching bands, lots of show choirs, lots of jazz ensembles, you name it. Uh, and then there's also a lot of, um, of nonprofit performing marching organizations, things like drum and bugle corps, drill teams, indoor percussion, that sort of thing. Um, so recently, we published a list, and this is really in the form of a blog post as well as a downloadable, uh, a downloadable article. Uh, we published a list of 90 plus, it's actually over 90 really when you uh, extrapolate it all out, uh, 90 fundraising ideas, different sources of potential revenue that you could, uh, you could investigate for your ensemble or your organization. And I think a lot of these are the tried and true things. Um, I think having all of these organized in one place is, is pretty useful. Uh, and also the, uh, the fact that we've set it up as a free download where you could just literally pop in your email address and we shoot it to you. Um, but I think that with fundraising for groups, um, there's always a bit of like there's some variability in terms of what groups respond to and also what your local, let's say it's uh, in the context of a school or high school. Um there's always some pressure in terms of what the school allows, what their policies allow. Uh, also, what you know, what are the football boosters doing? Uh, what are the other sports teams doing? What's the school musical doing? Um, you kind of have to plan your fundraising to peacefully coexist with other uh, entities within your organization. So uh, that can be a little tricky. That could be a little weird too, especially when you get uh, booster groups that are kind of going off the reservation and kind of doing different and creative things. Although... Now that I say that, I highly suggest you go off the reservation and do different and creative things because um, if you do the same things over and over again, you're going to get the same result. And I think many of you that tune into the podcast are probably not happy with those current results. So I think breaking outside of the norm and trying some different things just to shake it up and see what works uh, in a way that doesn't completely expose you financially, uh, you know, I, I think that that's always a good thing. So what I'll do is I will link 
the blog post that actually has the list. Uh, and then there, within that blog post, there's also uh, the downloadable opportunity for you to uh, to grab this list. So um, we've actually categorized our list into five distinct sections. Um, so they are in no particular order. Ideas that are simple, uh, fundraisers that are advanced, fundraisers that involve some sort of an event, so an event production type of thing, uh, fundraisers that involve some degree of performances. Uh, so because we deal with the performing arts, it seems natural that um, you're going to be doing some performing or probably a lot of performing anyway, uh, figuring out how to leverage those performances for fundraising and to make a few bucks along the way while you're, you know, satisfying curriculum outcomes and all those nice things that state boards of eds want us to do. Um, you know, you have those opportunities as well. And then things that are more like make, create, do. Um, so there's involve a little bit of light manufacturing, but hopefully nothing too major. So I'll just like kind of scroll down this list real quick. So we'll start with the simple ones. And these are the, what I consider to be the low hanging fruit, uh, the tried and true ways of, of making at least a little bit of money. Um, a lot of these fundraisers are very transactional, meaning that you have that thing. Let me give you some money for that thing. Uh, they're usually fairly low price points. Uh, things like candy, uh, selling bags of M&Ms in the hall between classes. Obviously, your school policies um, probably prohibit some of that. Not to say that it doesn't go on anyway. Uh, you got things like fruit and popcorn and wrapping paper and plants and uh, things of that nature. Um, things like raffles, uh, selling raffle tickets. Um, people hate that, by the way. <laughs> I know I've been on the receiving end of that a few times, but... Um, you know, forced compliance in terms of saying, hey, here are a bunch of raffle tickets you need to sell. Oh, and by the way, if you don't sell them, you have to buy the tickets yourself. Um, I think that that type of format leaves a very bad taste in the mouth of parents and uh, something to probably um, be careful about. Um, any, obviously, anything that involves food, um, whether it's pies or, or, or um, cookie dough, batter, things like that, bake at home pizza kits, those things are a little dicey in that they're generally uh, priced above retail. So they're probably, your your customer is going to end up spending a little bit more money, um, you know, from your son or daughter, let's say that's selling it on behalf of the marching band, then they could walk into Target or Walmart and, or Costco and go get. Um, so that's something to, to keep in mind. Um, you know, do people potentially just want to overpay the thing that they could uh, walk into the grocery store uh, up at the corner and get for a lot cheaper? Um, there's some uh, some pretty interesting ones here. Some things that I think are um, maybe a little bit off the beaten path. Uh, one of the things we put on here is Amazon Smile, um, which is the nonprofit, uh I guess, ability for Amazon to actually affinity market. Um, so basically the, what it means is it what you do is you set up your organization with Amazon Smile, your constituents, your families, your, your parents, things like that. Um, they're probably doing quite a bit of shopping on Amazon anyway. Uh, they can simply link their Amazon login. They're signed in to your organization so that uh, certain qualified purchases are, are very, very small. I cannot overemphasize the word very enough. 
um, a very small sliver of the uh, of the dollar amount they pay to Amazon uh, is actually contributed to your organization. So uh, it's it's very small. It is nothing to really hang your hat on. Um, I actually did a blog post, I think about a year, year and a half ago, about the false perception of Amazon Smile because I think people believe. I'm supporting that organization every time I shop on Amazon, they must be raking in the dough. And it's simply not the case. And I think with things like that, um, you know, share this. If this post gets 10,000 likes on Facebook, someone's going to get $5,000 grant. Um, most of the time, those things are, are not uh, plausible. They're not real. Uh, and Amazon Smile, while it is a real thing, uh, I think that it does sometimes create this... Um, impression that it's doing a lot when it's really not doing very much. Uh, but every little bit helps. And I think that if you've uh, been fundraising for any amount of time, you'll probably agree with that. Anything helps. Everything helps um, type of mindset. Um, we talked about uh, in this article something called jailbreak, which would be your principal, your band director, somebody on your school board um, gets kidnapped. And if you don't raise $2,000 by the end of the week, you'll never see him again. So obviously, if you're kidnapping a principal or a teacher that might not be very popular, um, that might be demotivating because, hey, if we don't raise any money, that principal, we don't have to see him again. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's that was an interesting one we explored. Um, things like car magnets, things like hot dog carts, things like um, selling your logo gear, uh, like your 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 organization's swag gear, things with your logo, your slogan, your, um, you know, your school colors, your, you know, whether it's hoodies, whether it's t-shirts, whatever. Um, there are, um, there are organizations out there that you can actually set up a fundraiser, um, design a t-shirt, sell that t-shirt, and then a percentage of those proceeds come back to you. Um, again, I don't know why you just wouldn't get something locally produced, um, something you have uh, a little bit more control and management over. Um, you probably have a local direct relationship because most programs need lots of t-shirt and hoodies and sweatpants and stuff with the logo on it. So, um, it, you know, a lot of times you want to encourage your families and your kids to have gear that has the logo on it. I don't know that um, adding a couple bucks to the price and then bringing that through to the organization's, uh, you know, operating account uh, is sound, but I think some groups do it and they like it. So uh, I just glanced a few of those uh, simple fundraising ideas. Next, I, what I want to do is jump over to the advanced fundraising ideas. So um, under the advanced fundraising ideas, these are typically methods of fundraising that are going to require slightly more resources, uh, a little bit more bandwidth to pull off really well. Um, you know, now they require a little bit more effort, a little bit more planning. However, they typically tend to uh, have a, a, a bigger upside um, than just something small and transactional. And these would be things that are um, just not your everyday type of purchases. For instance, mulch, um, you know, hoagie sales, uh, compiling and selling a, a customized cookbook. So if you were to actually put the word out that we want everyone's family recipes for um, you know, entrees, for desserts, for appetizers, for salads, whatever, soups, um, you could actually uh, curate and organize a cookbook and then have that printed and distributed. Um, we also talk about local business sponsorship packages. And those are 
pretty neat in the fact that uh, it's probably something you should be doing anyway. Um, local businesses are typically uh, fine with sponsoring your program, and they probably do it in little ways now. Um, but we've explored this in great, great detail um, in terms of how to set up a sponsorship program. Something that actually has some real teeth to it where um, you're, you have to show those businesses value. We can bring you customers right to your doorstep. We can drive foot traffic. Um, you know, a lot of businesses, like I'm thinking in terms of like dry cleaners, pizza places, um, like every high school marching band, usually at some point along the line orders, you know, 50 pizzas at a shot uh, on a Friday night or, you know, between a football game and a competition or something like that. Um, a lot of those businesses are going to want to do uh, in-kind donations, which are fine and can definitely save money. It adds up. Uh, but those business sponsorship packages, if you have some relationships that you can leverage, um, whether it's with signage, whether it's with um, you know in-person appearances, these can be even more useful than cash in some ways. Um, we talked about Christmas tree disposal. We talked about um, raffling some sort of an experience, something that's a little bit higher dollar amount. Um, so something like a race, uh, a race car test track kind of experience or um, riding in like a, a jet fighter plane, uh, skydiving, things like that. And then the one that's on this list that I really found interesting was um, alpaca manure. Um, there was a band, I want to say they were in the Chicago area. Uh, so on the outskirts of Chicago, there was an alpaca farm and the farm owner figured out that, hey, I'm up to my up to my neck in uh, alpaca poop and I would love to get rid of some of this and figured out that it makes a great manure and really makes uh, you know unbelievable nutrients to the soil. Um, so what they did was they enlisted the help of a high school band and he sold all of his poop and uh, the band made out and he made out it got you know took care of a problem and probably enriched you know, hundreds and hundreds of different garden plots around the Chicago land area. So I'm sure it was uh, it, it was pretty cool. But we did a uh, um, I linked an article off of the blog post to uh, explore that. And it was just kind of cool, and I figured I'd be remiss if I didn't include that. Um, let's move on to event fundraising ideas. Uh, so yeah, just what the title says: these are events that are really designed to create a fundraiser out of some sort of an uh, of a thing on your calendar. Um, so things like craft shows, rummage sales, uh, some sort of a home-based business sale, whether it's, um, you know, multiple people that you could bring in. Like, so what I mean by this is I've seen this work pretty well, actually, where if you get a Sensi, uh, rep, a Pampered Chef rep, um, somebody that sells jewelry, somebody that sells hair care, um, you could bring them all together into like one like your, your school cafeteria or your library, and you could have like a, uh, like a home-based business expo sale. Uh, charge them a little bit of money um, and, and really be able to drive uh, people into that. Um, it, it, it probably helps both the, uh, the, the sales vendor as well as the organization too, just in terms of exposure. Uh, we talk about chick, uh, chili cook-offs, barbecues, pancake breakfasts, um, spaghetti dinners. There's a lot of food, so we tend to use food as an excuse to 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 do a lot. <laughs> um, and I and I think that uh, you know, in terms of raising money, uh, anything that's driven by food can be a, a lot of fun too. Um, we talk about car washes. Um, I'm a big fan of the early season marching band car wash, mainly because it's generally summer. 
Uh, it also allows the older kids to bond with the younger kids. Um, I know that there's a program in Indiana. It's probably the top marching band program in the country in Indiana. Um, several uh, Bands of America Grand National final final uh, appearances and also championships. Um, they actually pre-sell passes to a community car wash on a specific date. And they'll also have a rain date. Um, but they sell hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these um of these car wash passes. So they're prepaid car washes. Um, what they find that less than 10% of the people that actually buy the car wash passes actually show up and get their cars washed. Um, so they've been tracking it. And um, it's a very, uh, it's very lucrative. Um, so whether or not people actually follow through and get their car washed isn't really the important thing. It's just you're prepaying a car wash for an extremely low rate. A lot of people on impulse will just say, yeah, sure, give me that. I'll, I'll take a book of five. Um, and, and then they'll pass them out to their, uh, their people and then they may not ever show up. So things like golf tournaments, golf outings, 5k races, um, car shows. Um, I know of a, a band program that I used to teach with, uh, when I was in college, uh, down in South Jersey, Southern New Jersey. Um, uh, they relied on a week long fair. They basically rented out a parking lot of a big strip mall, uh, in the summer um, it's a part of South Jersey where it's not quite the Jersey beaches, the Jersey shore, um, but it's close enough where the foot traffic and all of the stores in the strip mall would really almost go down to a trickle. Uh, so what they would do is they would rent a huge parking lot and they would produce a massive carnival with rides, with vendors and games. And it was a huge undertaking. And um, they made... Uh, low to mid six figures every year on this thing. It took a, a massive amount of, of manpower, volunteers, uh, lots of insurance uh, certificates. Um, you know, you're talking about rides and games and stuff in a public place. They, you know, they needed to coordinate permits with the township and with the police and all that. Um, but it worked out really well. It was definitely um, a huge headache, but it basically subsidized a major um, program in South Jersey. So, um, sometimes go big or go home is a good thing. Um, in that if you're going, you know, the amount of time it takes to plan a massive fundraiser and the amount of time it takes to plan a tiny little fundraiser, um, one may net you $4,000. The other one may net you $40,000, $80,000, $100,000. So sometimes you need to take that leap and, and just scale bigger and see, uh, see if it helps. Um, we, do, we talk about things like fashion shows, auction a date, silent auctions, treasure hunts, a lock-in night where, um, you know, the kids can um, basically be locked in to the band room for the evening for a, uh, a night in with movie snacks, drinks, and donations would um, be put against that. So basically, it, it, you, would, you would ask families to donate what they would have spent for a night out. Um, things like softball tournaments, poker tournaments. Uh, trivia nights, things like that. So um, we talk, there's a, a, a very heavy dominance of food also on that list as well, which is pretty funny. Um, now let's move on over to the performance fundraising ideas. Um, I want to try to keep this this blog, um, th this podcast episode a little bit smaller or shorter if I can. Um, but we talk about coordinating uh, drumathons, marchathons, some sort of a thon. 
Uh, and we've gone into detail in the past uh, on our blog about how successful a thon can be. Again, you're basically converting regular rehearsal hours into a way to raise money uh, simultaneously. So it's rehearsal hours that the kids are going to invest and put in anyway. Might as well make some money off of it. Um, we talk about benefit concerts. We talk about basically being able to parlay things that are happening. Like if you're having a spring concert, you can do a 50-50. You can do a coffee and a dessert bar. You can do um, you know, some sort of concession staffing perhaps. Um, where you can make a little bit more money on the side. So if the, if every if your constituents are all grouped up in one place, let's say it's a spring concert, the winter concert, all school musical, things that definitely touch your performing program, there are ways to actually force multiply the benefit by tacking on, oh, we can do this and we can do this and we can add that. Now, it's easy to stretch yourself thin in terms of volunteers, so just be careful. Uh, and then last but not least, a couple of ideas that fall under the make or create or do. Um, so uh, things like uh, envelope fundraisers, which is basically a mailing campaign where you can mail letters away asking for donations. Um, you know, it's, it's something that's a little bit, I, I'm not sure I, 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 I'm fully down with that, but I, you know, I've read it works. Um, things like shoe drives, which are... Um, you know, donating repurposed shoes. So shoes that you've outgrown or have worn out or you don't want anymore. Um, there are charities that actually will buy those shoes and discard those. Uh, and, you know, you're, you're able to receive a dollar amount from those. Um, so there are a multitude of different types of fundraisers that you can pursue. Um, I happen to think that of all the different fundraisers that we've explored, in this podcast, uh, and also on this blog post and this downloadable article, I really feel that pound for pound, dollar for dollar, the amount of time that you invest setting up and planning a crowdfunding campaign, whether it's um, you know some sort of a uh, drumathon or a marchathon, um, or if it's some sort of capital campaign to buy new instruments, to buy new band uniforms, I definitely think the way to get your fundraiser in front of the most people quickly would be through a platform like FansRaise. Um, you know, we just see it time and time and time again. Um, you're able to easily create chunks of money that weren't there before and receive money and donations from different streams uh, of people that uh, are typically not in contact with you. They're not the people that'll attend events. They're not always the people that can get to a concert uh, that want to buy the cakes or the pies or the light bulbs or the wrapping paper or what have you. Um, you know, I really feel that the crowdfunding type of format is so easy to propagate uh, via email, via uh, online social media, that uh, to not do that is just, uh, you know, it's just crazy. In my opinion, it really is. So, uh, so with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap this podcast episode up. Um, my thanks to all of you for uh, for tuning in, for following and subscribing. Um, be sure to head over to our blog, pop on that, uh, uh, and I'll link this in the episode uh, in the episode notes. Um, but go ahead and uh, and download that article. Download that ninety plus fundraising article. Um, I think you'd be pretty happy you did. And uh, let us know if in the in the comments on that blog post if there's anything we miss, anything you've tried that works. Um, 
you know, definitely looking to broaden uh, and diversify the, uh, the, the counsel that we can provide to the groups that follow us. So again, thanks very much and uh, we'll catch you next time.